As this is a new format, I'd quickly like to run you through how this will look. We'll start with a video from our design team, which will be narrated by our CEO, Peter von der Deuce, and our CFO, Ingo Autohacha, followed by a Q&A with the both of them. If you are an analyst, you can leave your question using the Q&A functionality at the bottom of your screen. And we'd much appreciate if you leave your full name and the firm you represent when asking your question. I'll now pass it off to Peter and Ingo to explain what happened in the second half of 2020. Enjoy. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining. Before we begin, I hope that 2021 has been off to a good start for you and your loved ones. I will now share an overview of how we performed in the second half of 2020, as well as some trends in the payments landscape, which we have visualized for you. Afterwards, Ingo will take over to take a closer look into the numbers and our team. With 2020 in our rear view mirror, we have seen how the COVID pandemic continued to impact the world economy, businesses, people around the world and the team. We remain focused on learning and adapting in this ever-changing environment and helping our merchants to do the same. Around the world, we have seen the acceleration of long-term trends as a result of the pandemic. This includes the shift from cash to cashless economies, the increasing share of online volumes in the global commerce and the convergence of the online and the offline shopping channels. Despite the COVID-19 pandemic continuing to disrupt the day-to-day -day of many of our merchants, the business was resilient and we saw profitable growth in the second half of the year. This is mirrored by our process volume for the period, which was 174.5 billion and 303.6 billion for the full year, with net revenue at 379.4 million and 684.2 million for the full year. We supported many merchants in shifting volumes between online and offline channels to keep their businesses going. Some merchants needed to swiftly facilitate new ways of selling, so we helped them to roll out new channels, such as curbside pickup. When lockdown restrictions eased in some regions, we enabled our merchants to then safely reopen as all of our terminals offer contactless payments. Due to COVID, shopping holidays shifted this year to become fully online events and more momentous than ever during the prolonged week-long periods of Black Friday, Cyber Monday and Singles Day, our merchants saw record volumes. We are proud to have helped navigate our merchants through this uncharted territory. Multiple consistent long-term trends on the platform persisted in this period, with increased diversification of our merchant base, the growing number of existing merchants adding a second channel, Volume churn remaining below 1% for the period and existing merchants continuing to contribute to over 80% of our growth. These trends have been consistent since our IPO. For us, it's incredibly important to support our merchants locally. In line with that philosophy, we opened an office in Dubai and we are looking forward to explore the potential of the region. Additionally, we grew our presence in North America this period. Many of our existing North American merchants, who have historically used our platform for their non-domestic volumes, chose to also use us for their US volumes. 
We saw this shift due to the increasing complexity of the US domestic market. In line with previous years, enterprise merchants already on the platform continued to be our largest growth driver. We also continued onboarding new merchants, with the pipeline unaffected despite early COVID impact. In unified commerce, we saw the upward trend of merchants adding a second channel persist. We also saw continued success across the broad spectrum of retail from high-end to mass market, illustrated by how we added Ralph Lauren, Fossil and Columbia to the platform this period. On mid-market, we continued to invest in simplifying access to single platform and we saw the merchant portfolio grow significantly in this space. We always build to meet our merchants' needs. This philosophy is reflected in how we build network token optimization feature of our Revenue Accelerate product in partnership with Microsoft. We also launched Identity Risk, Android-based mobile POS devices, their 3D S2 tool, and Audient Giving, a tool that enables merchants to accept shoppers' donations to charities at checkout. We also continue to invest in Audient for the long term and grew the team in the second half of 2020 to a total of 1,747 people. Despite the challenges that came with the pandemic, such as remote onboarding, working from home, our culture remains our top priority as a management team. Throughout the year, we implemented many new initiatives to help our colleagues stay connected, exercise their mental health and find communities of like-minded individuals within Atien. As a team, we continue to balance realism and optimism as it relates to the pandemic. For more details, you can find our shareholders letter online. Now Ingo will deep dive into our numbers. Thank you, Peter, and thank you everyone for joining this call. Diving into processed volumes, we processed 174.5 billion in the second half, growing 29% year on year. Full-year processed volume was 303.6 billion. Of this 174.5 billion, 21.3 billion came from point of sale, accounting for 12% of total volume. Point of sale volumes were directly impacted by the pandemic and subsequent increase in e-commerce volumes due to the closure of physical stores. Net revenue went up to 379.4 million for the second half, up 28% year on year. Full year net revenue was 684.2 million. The further diversification of net revenue contributions across regions and verticals resulted in business resilience over the period. Take rate was 21.7 base points in the second half of 2020, down from 22 base points in the second half of 2019. This is mainly due to enterprise merchants moving into new volume tiers. For the full year, take rate was 22.5 base points. OPEX were 157.7 million for the second half, and up 80% year on year. We continue to invest in building Agen across all regions, in the team and in marketing. For the full year, operating expenses were 310.3 million. EBITDA was 236.8 million in the second half of 2020, up 36% year on year. For the full year, EBITDA was 402.5 million. EBITDA margin was at 62% for the period, 
and 59% for the full year. Net income for the period was 163.1 million and 261 million for the full year. CAPEX were 4% of net revenue in H2 2020, slightly up year on year. Full year CAPEX were 3% of net revenue. Reflecting on the previous period, our pipeline and product development were largely unaffected despite the pandemic. Given the substantial growth and operating leverage we have seen since IPO and our continued focus on the scalability of our single platform, we have decided to update guidance on EBITDA margin going forward to increase to levels above 65% in the long term. Our other guidance remains unchanged. With the net revenue growing at a compounded growth rate between the mid-20s and low 30s in the medium term and with CAPEX sustainably up to 5%. We have posted these results and our accompanying shareholder letter on our website. This can be found at agen.com IR. Thanks all for listening. Peter and I are happy to take questions now. Great to see the business's resilience in the second half of the year. I'm sure there's lots of questions now to get to, so we'll be happy to take them. As a reminder, you can leave your question in the Q&A section at the bottom of your screen. And if you, uh, if you don't mind leaving your na full name and uh, firm you represent, that would be very helpful for us. The first question we have is from the line of Sandeep Deshpande of JP Morgan. Sandeep, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Hi, uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you well. Yeah, hi. Uh, so I have two questions. I mean, clearly you had a very strong second half. Uh, uh, U.S. growth was uh, very robust indeed. And uh, my question is that uh, U.S. growth was helped by, you know, the eBay transition, which is occurring to your platform at this point. But if you look at uh, the growth that you're seeing as such, uh, excluding if we can calculate eBay exposure, your growth was still higher in the U.S. than it was in Europe. So is this an issue with uh, the base effect in Europe that your base is already very high and so that's why the growth is lower or there is something else happening, uh, U.S. versus Europe? And my second question is, is Adyen targeting any new sectors from here? You've targeted mid-market in the past, but the data shows that almost all your growth is still enterprise. So is mid-market still very much an emerging or hobby sector, or is this going to be a key focus and at some point you expect this to be a big driver of your revenues? Thank you. Ingo, maybe you want to start with the question about U.S. growth, and Peter, you can follow up on the mid-market question. Sure. Uh, thanks, Sandeep, for the uh, question. So if you look at the U.S., um, I think the U.S. is clearly the result of uh, our investments over the recent years uh, to uh, be a relevant player in that market. And the reason why we're a relevant player in that market is uh, because we're getting more and more yeah, domestic volume uh, sent to us because we're solving for complex complexity. Um, there are a lot of uh, retailers in, that want to solve the unified commerce problem and that's why they like to work uh, with us. A good example, for instance, is uh, Dick's uh, Sporting Goods, but also H&M recently announced uh, to start working with us in the U.S. And uh, this is the, the opportunity that we uh, have in this market. So I agree, of course, um, Europe is growing from a larger base, uh, but there's also something uh, very important happening in the U.S. that they see us as a relevant, relevant player in that market. Peter, to you. 
Right, something about uh, the question about uh, mid-market and uh, if we are focusing on new segments. Um, let me first say the segments that we're focusing on. Um, that is, um, next to mid-market, we're also focused uh, what is new on hospitality, and we see some good early traction there. Um, and mid-market, if you look at the size uh, below the, the, the highest segment, platforms also play a large role, and we also uh, platforms and marketplaces, and we also play a role there. So it's not just mid-market. On the mid-market initiative, um, yes, that is something which we are uh, rolling out and which will take some time. So we are investing in that. And uh, it's, more, it's important, the lessons that we learn there, because they're also relevant for platforms and marketplaces. And uh, we'll see that further developing over the next years. Thanks. Thank Next up is Adam Wood from Morgan Stanley. Adam, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Hi, good afternoon and thanks for taking um, the questions. Uh, I've got two, please. Uh, just first of all, it's kind of a follow on, but it's very interesting um, to hear you describe how the, the payments market is changing. Um, and, and in the US in particular, business that maybe wouldn't have come to Adyen a couple of years ago is, is now coming to you. Could you talk a little bit in, in general about how the payments market has become more complex, what changes have happened? Do you think that increases or decreases as we come out of the COVID pandemic? Um, and is there any way you can quantify how much more of the market you think is open to you because of these changes than, than would have been the case a couple of years ago? And whether you want to do that with percentages or maybe verticals, however, however would, would be very helpful and useful. Um, and, and then secondly, maybe just on the EBITDA um, margin change, is that basically forced on you because of the economics of the platform? You just can't invest enough to offset the leverage of the platform? Or did you make a, a conscious decision to take the profitability of the company up and invest a little bit less? Thank you. Thanks for your questions, Adam. I think, Peter, it'd be best if you started on the complexity of payments and how that's changing with the COVID-19 pand pandemic. Yeah, so what you've seen is... Um, that our efforts, and we were very early with combining online with point of sale, and we call it unified commerce. And um, there's a need for that globally. And uh, there's a second element in the US, we were later with being able to offer full stack. So with acquiring uh, processing all in one platform. So what you now see coming up is that in the US, we are a logical player to choose. Uh, and we've seen that in recent announcements with big sporting goods, uh, but before also in the quick service restaurants. Um, and then COVID, of course, uh, creates tailwinds with the move uh, from cash to cashless. And uh, what we've seen in retail is that if stores are closed, then online takes over. Um, and uh, the companies, the, the retailers who had a unified commerce strategy, then really benefited from that. Um, so, so that explains why the U.S. is coming up. That it's not temporarily, but that I think that that's a, that that's a trend which uh, uh, which was anticipated. And also in earlier calls, we spoke about it. The U.S. is just lagging behind uh, the developments what we have seen in Europe. Let me say a few words on the, the EBITDA guidance. Uh, so, um, when we IPO'd the business, uh, we set a a target which we said like we're only going to change it if something fundamentally to the business has changed and if you look at uh, the, the discussions that we recently had also with investors around our profitability levels 
uh, we already uh, passed the 55 mark uh, quite often. Um, and we strongly believe that there is additional operational leverage into our platform. We have a single platform. We really benefit from having a single platform. And that's why we believe that we can further increase our margins. That doesn't come at the cost of uh, lower investments because we still uh, find top line growth uh, more important. That's also why we have guided these margins towards the long run. Um, and uh, that's also how we see it. So if we see a good investment, we will for sure make it. But uh, with the single platform, eventually we will get to this very high efficiency and leverage uh, of the platform. Thank you very much. Next up, we have Hannes Leitner from UBS. Hannes, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Uh, yes, thank you, Ethan. Um, congrats to the result. I have also a couple of questions. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about the Unified Commerce uh, Merchant Wins? Um, help us a little bit better to understand of those specific group, what is their current split between in-store uh, and e-commerce? And on that note, uh, clearly uh, status update at the quick service restaurants, uh, merchant wins ramp up. That's the first question. Then the second is, uh, maybe you can give us a little bit more KPIs around the issuing uh, business. You, you stated 30,000 ca 30, cards issued. And then the last question is coming back on that um, long-term EBITDA margin guidance. Um, should we think now about kind of a linear progression over that? And, or is this something rather more that the margin should stay uh, at the moment uh, fairly stable at the at the print what you have done this year um, thank you maybe ingo you want to start with the split between uh, how unified commerce looks uh, given point of sale or online yeah sure so um, i think the good thing from unified commerce is that we always start in a single channel i think with most of the implementations that's the case and it's either a retailer starts uh, in store and then later adds uh, online or uh, the other way around. I think what is very key to us is that payment is strategic. And the fact that it's strategic, that helps us uh, to have this type of conversations. Um, we uh, see volumes in both channels increasing. And if you just think about the fact that also in the second half, quite a bit of stores were closed and you see the strong performance of retail in general on, on our platform, we feel that we're very well positioned. Uh, and, and also uh, when uh, stores will reopen, uh, that we continue to see uh, this growth. Um, and yeah, if you if you think about all the verticals that we're addressing here, so we're always solving for complexity. Um, they're uh, also in QSRs, that's a reason why they like to work with us. So whether it's multiple geographies or multiple channels, like the combination of in-store terminals with apps. Uh, that's the type of uh, problems that we solve. And rollout with our uh, partners goes well. Uh, so we're very happy with the progress that we have made in, uh, in QSRs. Hey, Peter, you can pick up how we look at issuing. Um, yeah, so issuing is a, is, a, is a relatively new product that we launched. Um, it is um, uh, what is uh, we just announced that we're going to roll out in partnership with Glovo 30,000 cards. Uh, so that's uh, that's a more significant test case than we ran so far. Also, what we have done is for uh, Christmas, we gave all Altian employees cards uh, so that everybody could test. 
and um, that means that it's a product which uh, which we have uh, uh, which we're confident how we're rolling it out. But on the other hand, in contribution, uh, that will take longer before you see that back in the total results. Yeah, and Hannes, on your question uh, on EBITDA, um, we really see this as a long-term uh, guidance. Um, and we continue to invest in the business. So if we see a good opportunity, we will invest. Um, revenues and uh, costs are basically unrelated on the short term. Um, so it, it is hard to say like, yeah, it will be a gradual change over next years towards 65%. It is more intended to say like, we're, we strongly believe in operating leverage of our platform. And let's make sure that we uh, that we get there on the long term. Um, we will. Con I think, like you've seen in in the second half of uh, 2020, um, the uh, uh, the operating uh, margins are already quite high. Uh, but if we see a good opportunity to invest, we will certainly do so. That could mean that on the short term, uh, EBITDA margins could be slightly lower. Thanks. So it's not a guarantee Next. that we will, uh, that's basically what I want to say. It's not a guarantee that we will maintain the H2 EBITDA um, and, uh, margins uh, going forward. And, and just uh, maybe a quick follow-up here on the unified commerce, uh, just to be specific, uh, those, uh, for example, in the quick service restaurants, you know, they also uh, sell quite a lot of uh, their products via platforms, thinking about Deliveroo or Uber Eats, would that still go over the RDM platform? So are you the connecting central connector of the streams? Um, it depends a bit on uh, the type of implementations. Uh, we, we work with different uh, food delivery services. Um, so it depends, I would say. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks, Hannes. Next up is James Goodman from Barclays. James, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Yeah, thanks a lot. Good afternoon. A couple from me as well, please. Um, firstly, on the Affirm partnership that you announced, I think the back end of last year, um, it's pr pretty pretty interesting um, what's happening in Buy Now, Pay Later. Um, as I understand it, you're, you're integrating it as a, an additional payment option. You know, you've talked a lot in the past about just continually expanding all of the alternative payment types that you accept. But I just wondered if you could share some thoughts around, I guess, this explosion we're seeing in, um, in Buy Now, Pay Later, what your own expectations are around that. And given that some of these vendors, of course, are, are also pushing their own sort of checkout experience, um, just wondered if you see that to what extent is an opportunity or, or a threat. Um, and then secondly, a bit more specifically, just on um, the FX impact that we saw in the second half of the year, particularly on the net revenue, which was more impacted, I think 9% versus the gross revenue. C could you just explain that? You know, is that, um, is that a mixed thing that some of the regions more impacted were, were higher take rate, or is it more that there's some scheme fees that are in a specific currency? Um, and and do, do, do you expect to see that exaggeration of the FX impact as well as we kind of come into uh, the first half of this year? Thank you. Thanks, James. I think, Peter, if you could start with our view on uh, buy now, pay later, and then Ingo can take a, a look at uh, constant currency and the impact that we're seeing. Yeah, so in general, you see new payment methods coming up. You constantly see that. And um, the way how we look at that is we 
have we have merchants which have if we see a clear merchant demand and if we have merchants uh, that if we take the if we build the product will immediately take it live then we integrate it into our platform so uh, that's what we do with uh, buy now pay later if we look at those companies sometimes they indeed have their own checkout experience uh, but what you in uh, practice see is that it's much more attractive for merchants to work with us and have it part of uh, part of their payment suite and also typically what you see is that many of those companies we are the largest provider of volume to them so uh, for us it's more opportunity because complexity in the market is what we solve for merchants so more payment methods more complexity um, what i'd like to add is that we we are agnostic towards payment methods so it is merchant demand and uh, we provide the payment methods which are used by consumers and we're not steering in that. Ingo, if you Indeed. want to maybe do the second half of the question. Yeah, sure. Um, so if you look at the uh, revenues on a constant currency base, uh, we were about 9% uh, higher, which is, I think, a, a great outcome because that means that the underlying growth in uh, currencies is, is even better. Uh, so we um served a bit from uh, devaluation on, of some currencies like the dollar and uh, the brazilian reais um we it's the difference between uh gross and net is mostly a mixed effect so uh there there's no specific uh trend uh, there okay thanks next up we have gatam palai from goldman sachs gatam you'll be asked to Unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Tom, are you there? Can, can you hear me? Good. Yes, we can hear you. All right, great. So uh, two questions from my end. Uh, firstly, uh, on large customer ramp up um, and can you comment on uh, how the ramp up is progressing in, in customers like eBay and Alibaba. And that should be assumed that this could be a kind of a growth tailwind uh, in 2021. Uh, also, can you comment on the partnership expansion with Microsoft and how important is Microsoft becoming as a large customer for you? Um, and on, the, on the topic of large customers, there was an announcement from Shopify yesterday that they will roll out Shopify pay for Facebook and Instagram merchants. Uh, how does it affect your relationship with Facebook, if you can throw some light on that? Uh, and secondly, a follow-up on the FX question. Um, uh, Ingo, can you give us a rough sense of your currency mix? Uh, you, you highlighted US dollar and Brazilian real as having the biggest impact, but if you can just give us, give us a mix of uh, that in the revenues would be great. Thank you. Peter, maybe you can take a start with uh, our, our large customers. I think these are our favorite type questions, talking about single customers. But uh, if you could expand on how we, how we view that, uh, that'd be great. Um, yeah, if you look at um, how we uh, how we roll out with uh, companies like eBay, um, I mean we're really proud to have them, and it's uh, and they uh, they have communicated to the market what their plans are to shift volume. Uh, over uh, to Audien. Um, on the other hand, we should uh, realize that that doesn't change the underlying trends. So um, to call the major tailwind, no, it's a good contribution, uh, but the underlying uh, trends are also the same without single merchants. Um, what I really like about the relationship with Microsoft is 
that is what you often see in our relationships. And that's that we start with a market or with a product and that over time you build them out to, to multiple products in multiple markets. And that's also what you see with Microsoft. I think the question behind the question is, uh, does that mean that that you um, uh, that, that becomes a huge merchant in your portfolio? I think the trend in our portfolio is the other way around. We have more merchants, more diversification, uh, rather than the opposite trend where single merchants make out a large part of our portfolio. Um, then I think it's good. Um, um, yeah, on single merchants, you, you sometimes see that merchants announce that they do a project or multiple projects with other companies. Um, and I've no comment other than that we see no volume churn or no less than 1% volume churn. So over time, the volumes that we have, uh, we are capable of, uh, of keeping them or expanding them. So churn is at the current uh, company, not a big uh, theme for us. And maybe Ingo, you want to do the second half of the question? Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Peter. Um, so if you look at indeed the uh, FX uh, constant, constant currency uh, mix effect, it's largely related to uh, reais and, and dollars. It's hard to give you, or we don't disclose the uh, precise mix of this. Uh, I think the best proxy is to look at uh, net revenue distribution if you want to have a proxy. Because we give the net revenue per, uh, per region. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks, Katam. Next up, we have Charlie Brennan from Credit Suisse. Charlie, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Uh, great. Thanks for taking my question and uh, well done on the results. Can I just touch on the acquiring market? You mentioned it in the context of the, the US market, but if we look at the airline sector, we've seen some of the incumbents uh, leaving the market. I was just wondering what's the opportunity there for you to accelerate acquiring an airlines? Peter, would you like to take that one? Um, yeah, if you look at acquiring an airlines, we always took the view that uh, airline risk is um, um, can be significant. So we always chose to do a processing service only with a few exceptions. Um, and um, if you look at uh, in the future, if we would change that view, uh, I think during COVID it turned out that that we are quite happy with our uh, uh, with our stance on the on the topic of airline acquiring. Did that answer your question? Yeah, it did. It, it doesn't sound like you're you're leaping to fill the void that's left by 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 Wirecard exiting the market. Well, for airlines, we have always been. Um, uh, careful because airlines is the typical uh, typical case where as an acquirer you could end up with huge losses. Um, so it's a business model where time of buying and time of uh, taking the service flying uh, is quite far apart. Um, so uh, it doesn't really fit our risk appetite. Uh, but we will always look at the market and if there are and, and if there are good opportunities there we would. Uh, but but I think Wirecard had a larger airline portfolio than fits our risk appetite. And that's for acquiring. For processing, we're fine for the technical service. But acquiring, so being liable if the company goes bankrupt, that's a different story. There we have a low risk appetite in airline. Perfect, thank you. Next up, we have Sanjay Sakrani from KBW. Sanjay, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. 
Thank you. Um, Ingo, you talked about the impressiveness of growth while stores have remained closed. And obviously, we're hoping for some sort of normalcy as we move into the second half. Um, can you just talk about what the volume growth might have looked like if we had seen a more normal environment? Have you guys tried to estimate that? I'm just trying to think about how the volumes come back on the other side in terms of what's what's gone negative. And then second question is on LATAM growth. That was a little bit soft. Maybe you could just speak to how much of that was FX related versus, uh, versus COVID related, maybe something like that. And then final question um, on the US bank charter, just wanted to get a, uh, an update on timing and sort of how you see that impacting your company. Thank you. Ingo, would you like to start with, uh, with volumes and how we expect those to bounce back uh, as the pandemic hopefully uh, improves? Yeah, it is a, it is a difficult question uh, to, to answer. I think we're, uh, we're seeing a, a, an acceleration of a couple of trends that we have seen already uh, for a long time. Uh, the, the trends that also Peter was referring to in the video, the uh, trend that uh, people pay more uh, uh, cashless, uh, the digitization of, uh, of commerce. Um, and that's where um, uh, it is hard to give a precise number or even a, a rough estimate. Um, I think that if we would reopen again and uh, uh, the pandemic uh, is over or slowed down, then we also have a lot of reopening scenarios where we will benefit from uh, the rollout of contactless with our merchants uh, is uh, is very important. If you look at the number of uh, terminals that we have added over the recent months, uh, that ha has uh, developed really according to uh, to plan. So we feel that we're very uh, good position. Also, if you think about the uh, non-retail flows or volumes, uh, like in travel, if we would reopen again. Uh, that of course also will uh, will really help us to uh, uh, to get uh, to additional growth, uh, but to give precise numbers is uh, even rubber estimates is is quite difficult. Uh, I must say. Did you want to give a comment on uh, LATAM as well, Ingo? Yeah, I think on uh, on 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 LATAM we're we're still uh, uh, heavily investing in the business. Uh, we only went live at point of sale there relatively recently. Uh, so it's um, uh, it's still early stage there. Uh, we strongly believe that uh, also there we see from a retail perspective exactly the same trend. So the convergence between online and offline. So we're absolutely um, uh, feeling that we're uh, in, in a very good position in Latam and we will continue to in, invest uh, in, in that market. Just the, the final one on bank charter. Thank you. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, so on, on the bank charter, uh, we're still in the process. Uh, uh, the moment that we can uh, give an update, uh, we absolutely uh, will. Uh, there is unfortunately nothing to add at the moment. Uh. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Sanjay. Next up, we have Nushin Najati from Deutsche Bank. Nushin, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Nushin, are you there? Okay, next up, 
Uh, if Nushin comes back, we can try and come back to you. No problem. Next up, we have Alex Fare from Exxon BNP Paribas. Alex, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Hi, Alex, are you there? Can you? Oh, yes, we can hear you, Alex. Thanks. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry, there's a bit of a lag here. Uh, thanks for letting, for letting me on. I um, have two questions. Uh, the first one is on um, issuing again um, and this card. Uh, Alex, the line is, is very broken up. Alex, I think I think the best is if we try and come back to you. If you can, if you can. To think that these are commercial cases that you discuss. Alex, it, it worked much better at the end. So maybe if you could try to ask that question one more time, we can see if it works. This is a very 2020 uh, uh, type of thing to happen, so no worries. But if you could ask the question again, uh, we'd much appreciate it. Sure. Um, sorry for that. Give it another try. Um, wanted to ask on uh, issuing and the card you're uh, doing with um, Globo at the moment. Am I right to think that these are commercial cards? And, and more broadly in the different use cases you're uh, discussing with potential customers on issuing, do you feel more demand for uh, or more use cases for commercial cards or for consumer cards? So that'd be my first question. And my second question is on platforms. Just wondering if you've seen any change um, in the competitive landscape with the biggest platforms out there. Do you find they multi-source a bit more than in the past or are quite the opposite? They tend to consolidate the providers they use at the moment. Thank you very much. Peter, I think those questions are, are best for you. Maybe starting with issuing and how we look at that commercial versus consumer. Um, yeah, so uh, indeed, Glovo, that's an on-demand courier service. So we are, uh, uh, the couriers get an Atien-issued card to pick up goods. And um, so they're not consumer cards. And that is, from an Atien point of view, also what we focus on. Our customers are merchants, and uh, we focus on additional services uh, to merchants. And that means, uh, uh, and that, means that car our card issuing product is geared uh, towards uh, towards them, uh, but that can also be uh, the settlement to hotels or uh, other user cases with virtual cards. Also, if you look at the requirements, the requirements in the around those uh, uh, cases are different because suddenly uptime uh, being able to really quickly issue cards uh, under an SLA become important. That's exactly what our system is geared to. And the second question about platforms and how the competitive landscape there is changing, if at all, and if they're using a multi-source strategy or consolidating their payments. Yeah, what you see in the platforms is that we effectively are, uh, are signing them up. And um, sometimes it's because they use multiple supplier strategy and uh, we are quickly building a track record in that segment. And uh, sometimes it's a change of partners. So, um, um, yeah, as the UC is strongly coming into this segment. 
got it. But I'm not sure if I answered the question though. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it does. It does. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Next up is Josh Levin from Autonomous. Josh, you'll be asked to unmute yourself, and then if you could ask your question. Thank you, and good afternoon. I have two questions. First, can you give us an update on how SCA uh, is impacting volumes and how you expect it might impact volumes throughout the year? And then the second question is, you're accumulating a fair amount of cash on the balance sheet, even after you exclude the merchant's cash. Uh, you're not going to do M&A, so any plans to, to deploy that cash? Thank you. Ingo, maybe we'll start with the cash question first and then move to SCA. Yeah, sure. Um, so we still uh, have a strategy to uh, have uh, to keep this cash on the balance sheet, uh, basically for two reasons. It uh, makes our discussions with regulators uh, way easier because uh, they can see that we're a very uh, financially stable company, which I think is important if you're applying for licenses uh, throughout the world. Um, so that's the first reason. The second reason is that we're winning larger deals, so with larger uh, companies as a, as a customer. And also there having this uh, stable balance sheet with, without any debt is helping us. So at the moment, we don't have a, a strategy to, uh, to change this. So we will keep, continue the current uh, no dividend uh, policy uh, for now. Should I also say a few words on uh, SCA? Please. Um, so, uh, if you look at uh, strong customer authentication, uh, the reason, uh, of course, there are a lot of changes uh, being implemented. Um, this is an outcome of how the regulatory environment is changing around us. And what we want to make sure is that we help to navigate our merchants throughout these uh, changes. Uh, we strongly believe that we have a very good, op a very good solution for our merchants. Um, and it's a, it's a huge opportunity for the company that does it best. So uh, if we, we, we strongly believe that we solve it most uh, elegantly uh, compared to others, and that's why it's a big opportunity for us. Of course, if you bring an additional layer of security that could lead to lower conversions, it's up to the companies to make that as smooth as possible. Uh, they will win the trust of, uh, of merchants, and that's what we're, uh, what we're aiming for. Is it being enforced right now, or is the enforcement lax? Yeah, it is uh, partly enforced. So uh, we're, we're strictly monitoring it uh, at the moment, how it's being rolled out throughout Europe. Uh, some issuers do, others don't. Uh, so we track that on an individual bin level and also act on it on an individual bin level. Thank you. Next up, we have Chris Brendler from Seaport Global. Chris, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Hi, thanks. Uh, good afternoon and, and congrats on the, uh, the great results here. Um, I have I have two questions. Um, the first one is on the take rate. I know we don't focus on the take rate, but with the pandemic, there's some moving parts here and it looks like it was up a little bit year over year um, as the gateway volumes come down. Just how do we think about the take rate? Um, as Gateway comes back and any other puts and takes you would highlight, I assume relatively stable is probably the right outlook. Um, just want to make sure. And then uh, the second question is um, really impressive growth to the point of sale, considering what's going on in the world these days. Um, just wondered if you could talk about the geographies. Um, is that mostly in Europe? Is it also in the U.S.? Um, and um, how do you feel about your, your, the trajectory of your point of sale efforts today? Thanks. 
Ingo, want to start yeah, with take rate? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Let me say a few words on take rate. So uh, the the um, decline in take rate is mostly the fact of mix, indeed, uh, with uh, travel going down on our platform. That absolutely has a positive impact uh, on take rate uh, because we're typically not in the settlement flow. And as a result of that, uh, our income per transaction is lower. Um, but we also have a, a couple of effects uh, that are the opposite, which is mostly a result of working with large merchants. And I think uh, the pandemic has uh, demonstrated that uh, the, the large players are basically, or the large merchants are winners of this uh, pandemic. They typically have tiered pricing with us. So the more volume they bring, they get to lower pricing. And that's also, I think, what you see here in take rate. That's, a, that's also exactly why we don't manage on, uh, on, on take rate. Um, so we're very pleased with the development. We see uh, significant growth in the enterprise uh, segment. Um, I think also the development in the US uh, is very impressive, uh, where uh, in general it is a, a pretty much a commoditized market. Uh, so we feel that our take rate uh, has developed uh, in, in, in the way that uh, we like it. It's, uh, we still manage the company on, uh, on absolute margins. And Chris, I think you had a follow-up question about point of sale and, and the regional mix. Um, Ingo, you want to take that one? Yeah, if I could. Yeah, sure. Um, so let me uh, say a few words on how we've built uh, a point of sale. So we started off with point of sale in Europe and then uh, qu quickly also moved it to other geographies, uh, including the US, uh, Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, Brazil. Um, so uh, we're expanding uh, in, in all those markets, and that's exactly what large merchants expect from us. So we have continuous uh, discussions with them where to go next. Um, and um, yeah, it's, if you, if you, one of the benefits of working with us uh, as a single platform is that you can optimize a lot in the, in the back end. Uh, so that's also why they like this approach that we service multiple markets. And uh, we will continue to follow uh, this strategy. If you look at where our most terminals active at the moment, that's still very much concentrated on Europe and US. Great. Next up, we have Cor Klaus from ABN AMRO. Cor, you'll be asked to unmute yourself, and then if you could ask your question now. Yeah, good, uh, good afternoon. I hope you, you hear me. Um, yeah, I had a question on, uh, first of all, of course, congratulations with the results and the great, uh, great outlook going forward. Got a few questions on the, on the, on the cost side. Um, what we've seen, of course, is that the other cost has been quite stable. Uh, it's around 100 million euros. Um, uh, the, uh, the other cost versus revenue is, is going down from 18% to 15%. Could you elaborate a little bit more on the economies of scale there? Is the temporarily cost, uh, yeah, uh, the, the costs are a little bit lower or uh, will this co trend continue? Uh, that the, the other cost versus revenues will continue to, uh, to decline as you continue to grow and get uh, more economies uh, of scale. So that's on, on the other cost uh, line. And on the FTE, uh, on the FTE part, uh, we've seen, of course, last year you you've been adding 48% uh, uh, in in FTEs. Uh, quite impressive how you uh, how you manage that. 
Uh, could you give a little bit indication on FTE growth going forward? Uh, we've seen one, uh, one, uh, one, one other competitor at Checkout.com, I think that they're trying to increase their FTE base by around 75% uh, this year. Uh, the market is growing fast and, and everybody's trying to get, uh, get, uh, get the business, of course. Would you give some indication on FTE growth in 2021, uh, uh, if you might expect similar kind of growth rates as, uh, as last year? And my last question is about uh, you know, wages. Uh, we've seen that the average wage is uh, still around 100,000 euros at, uh, at Arjen. And you've been growing a little bit more on an international scale uh, outside of the Netherlands. Uh, could you give some indication on the average wage uh, cost uh, per FTE uh, going forward? Or do you think that that can remain around uh, that, that, that level? That were my questions. Thank you. Maybe, Peter, you want to start with how we look at growing the team, and then we can move to uh, the operating expense questions for Ingo. Yeah, so uh, Adyen has been growing the team at, uh, we feel, at the maximum speed at which we can absorb people. Um, culture is for us very important. Also, if you look at our uh, merchant base, uh, we have a large merchant base which is expanding with us. And therefore, uh, we work with, uh, um, um, we, we need to work with highly trained people on that side, on the engineering part. Uh, we have a very, we have an, an experienced team and we don't want to dilute the quality. Um, we have continued to grow during uh, COVID because we work, uh, uh, of the, we, we are investing in Altium for the long term, but also we think that this is a moment where it could be a good time to get a high quality of candidates out of the market because the employment market is a little bit less overheated than it used to be. Um, so that's uh, that's why, why we keep invest, investing in the business whilst maintaining the culture. Should I then hand it over to Ingo or should I answer another question? Let me say a few words on the OPEX. That's uh, that's fine. Um, I think the, the fact that you see that operating uh, cost is or other cost is lower compared to net revenues is a, is a result of the operating leverage in the business. Uh, of course, one cost category is significantly lower, which is uh, the travel of the team, uh, because we haven't traveled uh, over the past year. Uh, but other than that, there is no significant change uh, in, uh, in I think, how we look at our cost uh, pattern. Most important part of our cost is still cost of the team. Uh, you were asking, like, what are, you, what are your expectations around the uh, uh, average um, income or cost per employee? Um, and, and we won't further guide on that. Um, we make sure that we continue to build uh, the team globally. Um, and of course, in different regions, you have uh, different uh, wages and expectations. And we make sure that we, uh, um, uh, that we hire the right people in the right locations. Uh, so we're not going to give any guidance on uh, the average cost per employee uh, going forward. Thank you. All right, next up, we have Jeff Cantwell from Guggenheim Securities. Jeff, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Jeff, are you there? Okay, 
Jeff, if you uh, if you can get back on, let us know, and we're happy to take your question. Next up, we'll have Jamie Friedman from Susquehanna. Jamie, it's your turn. Please unmute yourself and uh, ask your question now. Thanks. Hi. Uh, thank you, uh, Ethan, and thank you, Peter and Ingo. Uh, I enjoyed the animation earlier. Uh, it was quite uh, interesting and creative. Um, two questions from me. Um, first, with regard to the uh, issuer strategy, um, Peter, I was just wondering, is is the addressable market, the target market for, for issuer um, restricted to your those merchants that you process? Uh, meaning, is it possible to have issuer processing for merchants that are that for which you are not doing merchant acquiring? That's my first question. And um, secondly, um, is in the instance that there is a recovery offline, which obviously would be uh, great for humanity, um, I'm just wondering, is that a good or bad thing for Adyen? Um, those would be my two questions. Thank you. All right, Peter, maybe you start with uh, issuing and how we look at uh, obtaining new customers in that space. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, what, you, what we now, of course, see is that merchants who do the acquiring with us, uh, that those are the ones that we also discuss issuing with. But theoretically, you could run it as a separate product. Uh, so it's it's not necessary to be an LTM uh, merchant, I would say. Um, but that's not how we, uh, that, that's not the current implementations we're looking at. Um, and then secondly, if the physical world comes back, you see that merchants, and that, that's, that's a trend which continues, uses both for online and offline. And if they start with us, it's often in the one channel. So it can be with physical terminals or it can be with their online presence. Uh, but we, we see them, we see, see us building out those relationships. So if you see, for example, with H&M that we've been working for a long time with, you see that they're adding countries for point of sale and countries for online. So I would say that for us, um, if, if, if the store comes back, uh, that, would be, uh, that would be neutral and, uh, or, or a good thing. Um, but I wouldn't be neutral in case of merchants where the online volume then shifts partly back to store, but I wouldn't see that that's a negative trend. Got it. Thank you for the clarification. Next up, we have David Togut from Evercore ISI. David, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Uh, thank you uh, for taking my questions. Uh, two questions, please. Uh, first, could you discuss your 2021 uh, investments in greater depth, should we expect more investments in unified commerce and full stack acquiring uh, in the US? Uh, and then the second question is, do you have any broader plans to really capitalize on PSD2 in Europe, since there are many open APIs through which you could potentially offer, you know, online and mobile consumer financial services? Uh, you know, to, to customers uh, through the European banks. So I know this this would potentially be a new line of business for you, but you do have a Netherlands banking license. So I'm just curious, is this is something that that you might consider? 
Peter, maybe on PSD2, it's an opportunity. Um, PSD, <laughs> I was still thinking about the first part, what are we investing in? Uh, so maybe I should do it in chronological order. Uh, then uh, I might give the second part to Ingo for PSD2. So if you see what we're investing in, and I think uh, Abdien is organized in uh, solutions. And I think that the, if you look at those solutions, that, that such a short summary never really is the, uh, does justice to what we're investing in. But think about digital and online, that's where we started. Um, so that, that, of course, is what we continue to invest in. That's about both, right? That's about risk. Uh, then, of course, platforms. Uh, and marketplaces where you see companies like eBay as great examples of our investments there. Uh, issuing is also supportive to our investment in platforms and uh, marketplaces. Um, then, of course, retail and hospitality. Uh, retail, uh, um, that's point of sale. Hospitality, we, uh, that's where we are relatively uh, new and where we see uh, some early traction, some good early traction, actually. And then, of course, mid-market that we have discussed about. So those are the areas uh, of investment and focus for Audien. And then, Ingo, do you want to say something about uh, PSD2? Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, if you if you look what's happening in PSD2, indeed, besides uh, the strong customer education, is indeed the, uh, the open banking aspect. Um, if we would go or basically develop our own product around this, uh, we would start to build direct relationships uh, with consumers. So basically building our own payment methods. And we think that that's a conflict of interest with our merchants because we're basically then fighting for the same consumer whilst we really want to be on the side of the merchant. Uh, so um, we will not do that. We will, of course, look if there are other players around us that might uh, build on certain open APIs for, for banks. You see certain initiatives in UK, for instance, and we will make sure that we integrate it into our platform so that we can offer it as a payment method, but we will not develop it as a payment method ourselves. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Next up, we have Sean Horgan from Rosenblatt Securities. Sean, you'll be asked to unmute yourself and then please ask your question. Yeah, hi guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, so I was just curious about, uh, you know, I know, I know you don't guide near term, but um, some of your peers have have given assumptions about uh, the recovery um, underlying their outlook for 2021 and thoughts on the uh, periodic cadence there. So I was wondering what your assumptions there and if there were any, if there's any color you could provide on the underlying assumptions. Thanks. Ingo, maybe for you. Yeah, sure. I think our, most of our focus on uh, is on building uh, relationships with merchants for the long term. So we don't focus too much on on, on the short term. Um, it is uh, still a very uncertain year for everyone. Um, so we want to make sure that we understand what the needs are of our merchants. Make sure that we're ready for it. Also, make sure that our team is ready for it because everyone has almost been working from home for a year now. Uh, so we need to make sure that um, everyone feel, feels uh, good and uh, that we're ready for this uh, sustained situation and the rest will follow. So 
our focus is on, on the long term, not on the short term. Great. Well, that concludes the H2 2020 Augen earnings video call. Thank you very much for joining us and we wish you all good health. Bye.